welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world and this is the season when there is an increase of loving energy in the atmosphere still though we should be loving to ourselves and others every day of the year and there is never a loss in being loving to ourselves or any of God's children no matter who or where they are for even with the mass accumulation of selfishness and greed amongst mankind being sincere love to others and thoughts and prayers costs nothing and that loving energy is powerful enough to make a world of difference for everyone. Now, sometimes in this life, with its ups and downs, we may feel that being loving to those that are unloving to us is not always beneficial and a waste of our effort. But understand that those are feelings of the ego temporal and their reciprocity is not necessary but the loving energy that we emit from our hearts the loving radiation of our mighty I am presence is eternal and powerful and our loving efforts are not only recorded but does not go unnoticed in the heavenly realms where loving hearts matter so remember this The love we have for ourselves and others represents the love we have for the living God within us. Because that same spirit of the living God is on the inside of each and every one. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life. And y'all be loved. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God, and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, 
because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. 1 John 5 1-20 Bishop Horsley's edition of Sir Isaac Newton's works, several manuscripts on theological subjects were cautiously withheld from publication. The article known as Christ's Descent into Hell, which is found in the later Apostles' Creed, is not to be found in the manuscripts of either the 4th or 6th centuries. It was an evident interpolation copied from the fables of Bacchus and Hercules and enforced upon Christendom as an article of faith. Concerning it, the author of the preface to the catalogue of the manuscripts of the King's Library, preface, Page 21, Remarks, I wish that the insertion of the article of Christ's descent into hell into the Apostles' Creed could be as well accounted for as the insertion of the said verse, First Epistle of John 5 7. Now, this verse reads, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. This verse, which has been appointed to be read in churches, is known to be spurious. It is not to be found in any Greek manuscript, save one at Berlin which was transcribed from some interpolated paraphrase between the lines. In the first and second editions of Erasmus, printed in 1516 and 1519, this allusion to these three heavenly witnesses is omitted, and the text is not contained in any Greek manuscript which was written earlier than the 15th century. It was not mentioned by either of the Greek ecclesiastical writers nor by the early Latin fathers, so anxious to get at every proof in support of their trinity, and it was omitted by Luther in his German version. Edward Gibbon was early in pointing out its spurious character. Archbishop Newcomb rejected it, and the Bishop of Lincoln expresses his conviction that it is spurious. There are 28 Greek authors, Irenaeus, Clemens, and Athanasius included, who neither quote nor mention it, and 17 Latin writers, numbering among them Augustine, Jerome, Ambrosius, Cyprian, and Pope Eusebius, who appear utterly ignorant of it. It is evident that if the text of the heavenly witnesses had been known from the beginning of Christianity the ancients would have eagerly seized it, inserted it in their creeds, quoted it repeatedly against the heretics, and selected it for the brightest ornament of every book that they wrote upon the subject of the Trinity. Thus falls to the ground, the strongest Trinitarian pillar. 
Another not less obvious forgery is quoted from Sir Isaac Newton's words by the editor of the apocryphal New Testament. Newton observes that what the Latins have done to this text, 1st epistle of John 5, the Greeks have done to that of St. Paul, Timothy 3:16. For by changing OS into QS, the abbreviation of Kio, God, in the Alexandrian manuscript, from which their subsequent copies were made, they now read great is the mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh, whereas all the churches, for the first four or five centuries, and the authors of all the ancient versions, Jerome, as well as the rest, read, great is the mystery of godliness which was manifested in the flesh. Newton adds, that now that the disputes over this forgery are over, they that read God made manifest in the flesh, instead of the godliness, which was manifested in the flesh, think this passage one of the most obvious and pertinent texts for the business. H.P. Blavatsky And now we ask again the question, who were the first Christians? Those who were readily converted by the eloquent simplicity of Paul, who promised them, with the name of Jesus, freedom from the narrow bonds of ecclesiasticism. They understood but one thing, they were the children of promise, Galatians 4:28. The allegory of the Mosaic Bible was unveiled to them, the covenant from the Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage was Agar, Ibid, 24, the Jewish synagogue, and she was in bondage with her children to Jerusalem, the new and the free, the mother of us all. On the one hand, the synagogue and the law which persecuted everyone who dared to step across the narrow path of bigotry and dogmatism, on the other, paganism with its grand philosophical truths concealed from sight, unveiling itself but to the few and leaving the masses hopelessly seeking to discover who was the God, among this overcrowded pantheon of deities and subdeities. To others, the apostle of circumcision, supported by all his followers, was promising, if they obeyed the law, a life hereafter, and a resurrection of which they had no previous idea. At the same time, he never lost an occasion to contradict Paul without naming him but indicating him so clearly that it is next to impossible to doubt whom Peter meant. While he may have converted some men, who whether they had believed in the Mosaic resurrection promised by the Pharisees or had fallen into the nihilistic doctrines of the Sadducees or had belonged to the polytheistic heathenism of the pagan rabble, had no future after death, nothing but a mournful blank, we do not think that the work of contradiction, carried on so systemically by the two apostles, had helped much their work of proselytism. With the educated thinking classes, they succeeded very little, as ecclesiastical history clearly shows. Where was the truth, where the inspired word of God? On the one hand as we have seen, they heard the apostle Paul explaining that of the two covenants, which things are an allegory, the old one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth unto bondage, was Agar the bondwoman, and Mount Sinai itself answered to Jerusalem, which now is in bondage with her circumcised children, and the new covenant meant Jesus Christ, the Jerusalem which is above and free, and on the other Peter, who was contradicting and even abusing him. Paul vehemently exclaims, cast out the bondwoman and her son, the old law and the synagogue. The son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, behold, I Paul say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Galatians 5 2. What do we find Peter writing? Whom does he mean by saying, these who speak great swelling words of vanity, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage, for if they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, they are again entangled therein, and overcome, 
it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, second epistle. Peter certainly cannot have meant the Gnostics, for they had never seen the holy commandment delivered unto them, Paul had. They never promised anyone liberty from bondage, but Paul had done so repeatedly. Moreover, the later rejects the old covenant, Agar the bondwoman, and Peter holds fast to it. Paul warns the people against the powers and dignities, the lower angels of the Kabbalists, and Peter, as will be shown further, respects them and denounces those who do not. Peter preaches circumcision, and Paul forbids it. H.P. Blavatsky Now you have been accustomed in the past in knowing that one nation, sending some of its inhabitants to some far-off land to colonize, and it holds possession of that land and operates it by its own people at a distance. Well, we aren't sending our life flames in here to colonize this world, not at all. But we can certainly establish an individual focus of a sun presence of our cosmic flame of cosmic victory, which is our sacred fire mastery over all evil, and over the control of all manifestation. We can just as easily project that at a distance as you can throw a ball into the air and send it to your objective. But the ball simply drops and stays there, but it doesn't change its qualities at all. When we project a flame from our temples of the sacred fire, that can go forth on a light beam, and be placed anywhere in the world that we choose to place it. We can make it visible or invisible. It can be an eternal part of the earth. It can control the atmosphere. And more than that, the force field around the sacred fire that we project can control everything that comes within the radius of it. And the radius is determined by us when we send it forth. So, we can change everything in this world by the projection of the sacred fire. But what we need is your call to have this established permanently as an eternal part of the world, an eternal part of your government. This is what brings the government from the ascended master's octave into this world to be the perfection of the incoming cycle, and to eventually give the earth its ascension. The nation first, and then the earth. The angelic host have tremendous service to give to the people of this world. The new cycle and its blessings, all of its blessings, will be created and established here by those of the angelic host who have taken the responsibility of creating and sustaining the new cycle until its illumination has brought perfection here for eternity. Therefore, you are privileged to be the vanguard, in making this call, to start the creation of ascended master authority in the channels of government and business that have been heretofore held under the control of human authority, human control by the sinister force. Now there is no battle between them and us. When our sacred fire moves in, they dissolve and cease to be, so, this isn't a battle of authority, anything of the kind. And the sacred fire, which is our life, our consciousness, our power, our authority, our perfection of manifestation and action, when we establish that within certain activities of your government, your business, the outer activities of the people, when the cosmic law gives us the dispensation to establish this control, sacred fire control of conditions in this world, then we move into action. And we can set that into action in the outer world conditions in some of the most amazing manifestations of which mankind has never yet even dreamed. This, to me, is far better than destroying a civilization and letting millions of people go out of embodiment and desecrating the powers of nature, and then trying to build over again. 
This is the divine way in prevention of taking out of the clutches of the sinister force its way and means of controlling the action of mankind. And this is the only way that it can be done harmoniously and eternally. Beloved Archangel Michael, 